Marie Odile Amory occasionally came across them at private functions. With her unassuming manner and simple but stylish clothes, she chatted amiably about the weather, house prices and holiday destinations. Peering out from under her blonde fringe and fixing the middle-aged men from Belgium, Italy, Spain, the UK and the United States with her piercing blue eyes, she was always polite and spoke respectable English to those with no French. The owner of the Tour de France kept her public profile so low that many of them did not recognise her. While drinking tea out of china cups on the balcony of the Belgian king's residence outside Brussels on the eve of a recent Tour de France start, she was chatting with one of them about their grand surroundings for several minutes. They joked about their holiday homes, how theirs also had similar décor, marble columns and chandeliers, and a garden with its own golf course. The man thought the unassuming lady he was talking to was an aide to the Belgian royal family or perhaps a member of its catering staff. It was only when she introduced herself that he realised he was chatting to a woman who was richer than their host, King Philippe. Those of the Tour de France team managers who recognised Marie-Odile Amory would often try to steer the conversation to the business of cycling. Face to face with the matriarch, who controlled the purse strings, they reminded her they received a mere 51,234 euros in compensation to attend the Tour de France, with a few free hotel rooms thrown in. The money barely covered their expenses for petrol, for the team buses and cars during the three-week race. Under Madame Amory's feudal system, the teams could use the profile of her race to reap their own income from private sponsorship deals, but they did not have the right to share in any of the television and race sponsorship money, which was said to approach $100 million a year. This was a highly unusual situation in modern-day sport and made the team managers bristle when they met her in person. Their complaints would turn the air cold within seconds. At first, Madame Amory would, with a thin smile, refer them to her senior executives for further discussion. But if they persisted with their gripes, she could turn prickly. Striding up to her purposefully, one of them exchanged a kiss on each cheek in line with French custom before he asked her abruptly if he could iron out some differences face to face right away. Hardly skipping a beat, she said, Happy New Year. It was mid-July, and walked past him. At the dawn of the 21st century, two-thirds of French-listed companies remained partly family-owned, according to the economist Thomas Philippon. That compared to fewer than one quarter of those in the US and UK. The fortunes of the very wealthiest of these French dynasties, from the Betancourt family, custodian of L'Oréal, to the Arnauds, owners of Louis Vuitton, are picked over by the media. Perhaps none of these clans is more secretive than the Moulier family, the controller of Decathlon, the sports retailer. The structure of its holding company means that the only shareholders allowed to join are the members of the family tree who can be traced back to a wool factory owner born in 1877. Leaders of most family-owned companies tend to be more risk-averse, 
They are more conscious of threats that may weaken their heirloom as they endeavour to pass it on carefully to the next generation. Among them, Marie-Odile Amaury. She and her family owed their wealth from the Tour de France to a media empire started in 1944. In this historical context, the cycling team managers who confronted her were not just coming up against the iron will of a proud pensioner, but against what they felt was the immovable force of the French way of doing things. Sometimes they felt all the energy they used up to achieve change in the sport was like trying to run through a brick wall. But one day, at the start of 2011, a plot was hatched. A dozen of them filed into the hall of a grand building in the city of London to discuss how to bring down cycling's antiquated business model. Rothschild and co., around the corner from the Bank of England, was so embedded in the financial district of London that it owned St. Swithin's Lane, the narrow street where it was located. 